Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. It's happening. You're soaking in it. Oh, well... <laughs> Welcome to this uh, special backdoor pilot, we're calling it. Uh, really? Uh, to the what will eventually be the Nerdist Comics panel. Uh, the reaction to the episode I did with Len and Ed Brubaker and Jackson Public was so great. Uh, people loved it. They wanted to hear more stories from you, Len. Uh, and Always so glad. I said, you know, they, I love comics. I have friends who love comics and work in comics and work in superheroes. And uh, let's let's just do this thing. Let's spin it off. So what we've done, uh, we've collected the best comics people I know. The mightiest of heroes. <laughs> yes. Uh, All the comics people you know. Come on. <laughs> no, that's, I'm excited to bring in guests now. Uh, <laughs> So let's uh, start here, uh, Len. Reintroduce yourself, and we'll kind of go around. And uh, we don't have to give your your credentials yet, but oh, uh, just, just so they know your voices. We've we've only got an hour. So <laughs> right. Uh, hi, I'm Len Ween. Oh, that, that was it. That was it. Well, oh, I just, it's good. He said no credentials. Well, that was better. <laughs> you know, so I I figure I just introduce myself. That's good. Hi, me. Hi, myself. Uh, I'm Heath Corson. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm Adam Beechin, and Heath is a Scorpio. Yeah, there you go. Uh, And Adam, also familiar to our listeners as guest hosting the most popular episode of the Nerdist Writers Panel. He did a really good job. He did a really good job. I can't believe that. That's why I asked him to be here. I actually called Ben and said, Adam did a really good job. You should consider retiring. Yeah, and (laughs) I pulled myself He's at Adam. Everyone always wants to hear that. <laughs> I know, right? You were great. Get out. He's the Johnny Carson of the Nerdist Writers Bot. <laughs> yeah. Just set him up and let him roll. It worked. Uh, I, I know you're all about eving me a little bit. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I'll and say it is. Scene. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's kind of talk about uh, our relationships to comics. You know, I mean, uh, Len, you have written more comics than most people will ever read. Probably true at this point. Um, yes. Adam, you have also written many, many comic books in uh, addition to animation and uh, other things. It's been a busy couple of years. Um, came to comics through writing animation. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Started working on Justice League Unlimited, the uh, the comics adaptation of the animated series. And uh, you, Were you working on uh, Teen Titans at the time? I was working on the animated series. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had done a couple episodes of that. And then graduated, I guess, to the DC mainstream and worked on Robin and worked on Batgirl and worked on Countdown to something, mm-hmm. uh, Final Crisis. <laughs> And then Countdown to Adventure, and then most recently been working on Batman Beyond Unlimited. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is really a fun book. Really fun. Thank you. It's a lot, I feel like it comes out every week. It does digitally. Is that why? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's one I just about. only read digitally. Oh, okay. So I, I feel like, oh my God, it, there's more of it? Yeah. It just, it, but it's a fun story. It I have really no idea fun. what's showing up when, but I, I get <laughs> notes every once in a while saying, hey, love the chapter. And I was like, wait a minute, I didn't know that chapter had even come out. Wow. All so right. So nice. Um, and, and Len, just to refresh the memory of our listeners, uh, what, what are the big things that, that we know you for? The big things, uh, probably creating the new X-Men. Uh, probably. Wolverine. Maybe. <laughs> Heard of them. Creating Swamp Thing, the Human Target, Lucius Fox for Batman. Yeah. Jigsaw 
for the Punisher. I, you oh, know, I was yeah. going to ask you what, because I was thinking about when when you were last on. We talked about Wolverine and we talked about Swamp Thing and uh, like what. When does it start to get to C-list characters? Because there are so many A and B lists that you did. Oh, trust me, there are plenty of C-listers. There, there are characters that. But it I... comes a hundred characters in. Probably, yeah. I mean, I sat down once to make a list and got tired halfway through. Uh, That's remarkable. It's well, it's you know, it's like a shark. You keep moving or you die. That's right. Uh, and you're still doing it too. Yes, I mean absolutely. you're you're reintroducing characters and and I mean obviously writing books currently. Uh, you're just finishing up one of these Watchmen uh, prequels. I am. I'm I'm on the last issue of Ozymandias. I just about two weeks ago finished the Dollar Bill one shot with Steve <laughs> Rude. On oh wow, end, fun! Which is spectacular. It'll be out in a couple of weeks. Uh, and then I'm. Back to animation stuff at the moment. This not mm-hmm. entire job. I've got a couple of comic things. I'm doing a Batman story for a Batman Black and White. They just asked. Oh, me, are they doing another one of those? Yeah, that's great. Those are really. They neat. just asked me yesterday to do a Superman story for digital. Oh, terrific! For the Adventures oh, wow. of Superman, which I haven't done yet, so that should be fun. I'm looking forward to that. It's interesting. It's, How, it's is it interesting? Is it different terribly than writing normally? Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that we want to get into this right away, but no, but it, there are no splash pages because they don't work as well on the digital format. Oh, so you find yourself wow. writing a lot of half splashes, uh, and the pacing is a little different because the chapters are of different lengths. So right. it took some adjusting to, uh, and only now are we starting to get around to adjusting <laughs> to it. And the book has been digital the entire time. Oh, so, spiffy! <laughs> yeah, oh, that's really. I'll be interested to hear how you feel about the experience. Yeah. I'm Looking forward to it. Actually, yeah. it sounds like an adventure. It is. Do, does it affect uh, how much story you're telling, and also how much dialogue you're using? It, it affects story much more than dialogue, sure. I think, uh, because there's no room to recap. Um, oh, so that's interesting. You, you can't recap without sacrificing a page or two pages of your story, and then you're left with eight for that week, and then you can't advance the story as far as you would like. Mm-hmm. So, a common complaint is that uh, the books are hard to access for new readers. Uh, the, sure. the easy uh, <laughs> remedy for that is that they're all available online right. at a relatively low price. In your home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I have to say that has revolutionized the way that I read. And, and I a- end up buying more because, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go to a meeting and someone's like, oh, are you going to talk to somebody about Superman? And I was like, I haven't read Superman forever. And then you just go and pick up five issues and just whip through them and it's it's super fun i gotta say it's i I end up buying a lot more but do you miss the experience of actually holding the comic book well i will say there are books that i want to buy just so that i have because i know i'm going to want to give it to somebody you know like ben and i meet and i go hey did you have this and he's like oh yeah i'll loan this to you and then Mm -hmm. there's stuff that i go well i know i want to buy this uh so that i have it to give to somebody else um so yes, yeah. there there are some things I I totally will go out and make sure I right. have a hard copy of. But the experience itself, and this came up when we were talking mm-hmm. with Brubaker that time, that like there, there's no substitute for going to the comic store and holding that thing in your hands, and you know the paper is such a part of it. Um, but I, I I'm on board. I mean I I really do enjoy the digital. And we are just about the last generation that's going to have that experience. Yeah, that's and true. And enjoy that experience that you're talking about. Yeah. Everybody else, mm-hmm. it's going to be like Heath's talking about experiencing comics for the first time digitally. Yeah, well, it's like a double hit too. You get to you pay for the book online, <laughs> and then you buy a hard copy when it comes out. That's right. Um, I will say it's interesting. It's it is very akin to how 
my father and my grandfather used to talk about comic books in the disposable way. And that there was like, oh, I just whipped through it and then, you know, I throw it on my floor and then yeah. I, I throw them away. And it's I, not about collectors. It's not about collectors. And yeah. I think you're right, Adam, because we are collectors. We're like that. We're of that age where it was like, whoa, I got to get all those variant covers. And <laughs> they did it in platinum. That's awesome. I got to get that. You know, holograms. right? So, holograms. 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 Oh, my God. Right. One to open, one to save. Right. Is this the Star Wars with the diamond price? Yeah. Or is it the... <laughs> right. I still have my Death of Superman unopened somewhere. Yeah, that that almost killed the <laughs> That's right. Doing that. That's right. I, I remember when the Death of Superman came out, I was at a convention with a couple of the guys who had worked on it, and they had a huge line going out the door for autographs. And I was watching the kids come up to them, and I noticed that every kid had six copies. Six copies. Every single one of them. Oh, my God. And I said to them, why six copies? And they looked at me like I was an idiot. And they all said, well, one copy is to read, one copy is to save in the plastic for the future, and the other copy is to sell for a whole lot of money when right, right. time. And I said, sell to whom? Everyone else online has as many copies as you do. It's, it's absolutely true. And their heads would explode. They wouldn't, like, oh, my God. I mean, I'm not the only person who thought of this. There's oh no longer God. any such thing as scarcity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Uh, and and uh, you know as Heath is saying, it doesn't really matter anymore, right? Like it's all disposable now anyway. I mean, it's the people who hoarded record albums. It's true, right? Like, you know, it, or, laser discs. Or, or laser discs. Laser discs. Um, before we move on, Heath, please introduce yourself. Tell us. Uh, sure. Why, tell us why you're here. I have no idea why um, I'm here. Let's let's be honest. Talk talk um, about what you're doing as much as you can. Sure. I'm gonna... I am. Uh, uh, an, I. Actually came into well, I was a big comic book fan forever. I, I grew up reading comics. I met my best friend in the world um, when we both were in the doctor before my I started second grade, and we were both reading the exact same Hulk comic book. And that's Do you how what it was. It was. Um, I, I, was I think say. maybe one of uh, Lens. <laughs> Probably yes. it was one of the big treasuries that we were oh, both reading. Sure. Um, and we uh, uh, we were just like, hey, you're reading this. Do you like this? And he's like. I like this. Do you like this? And we be- and we ended up we were going to the exact same school in the same grade. Oh wow! And so we became <laughs> best friends and our best friends to this day. That's uh, cool. So that that was my intro. But then since then, in my professional life, um, I started in Chicago and I did a stage adaptation of Jill Thompson's uh, Scary Godmother that Jill wrote with me and actually designed. Wow. So the show looked like you were oh, stepping wow. into her comic book. Oh man! Including a Full outfit of uh, Bugaboo. Uh, so it was amazing. We had the greatest time. And uh, that was in 2001. And then. Do you, by the way, do you have photos? Or oh, yeah. No, I have photos. We'll put them up on the and website. I think I have video. There might even oh, be a God. video I, of it. I would love to I mean, see we that. had Harry the werewolf with the guy with the whole werewolf thing in the, out, in the suit with a tail. It was unbelievable. And uh, we were so proud of it. And actually, the guys who were doing the animated version, unbeknownst to me, showed up and were like – they pulled me aside. This was in Chicago and pulled me aside and said, this show is already better than both of the scripts we've already commissioned (laughs) for the animated show. So would you and Jill write the animated show? And so they did. And then they made uh, the Scary Godmother Halloween Spooktacular, which Mm -hmm. still airs on – Cartoon Network every year. <laughs> sure and that was my very first thing that I uh, ever sold to Hollywood. And I was like, Hollywood wants me. And little did I know Hollywood did not want me. Um, 
Encino, Encino however. Right. Yes, that's was. right. It's really, had you first pick in the draft. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so since then, uh, I've, I've done a couple pilots for Fox. I did a digital show for uh, Warner Brothers and uh, um, McGee's company, Wonderland, called Aim High. Which is fantastic, and I recommend it highly to anybody listening. Thank you so much. And then uh, I've been doing some uh, big projects for Warner Brothers Animation, which we can't talk about, but when we can, yes. we will do here. I will say this, and we can take it out if you find out we can't talk about this, okay. but <laughs> comic books and superheroes are involved. Comic books and superheroes are a big major yeah. part of it. Like you, you had to dig deep. I had to dig deep. <laughs> you had to do some story making. And by the way, it was the scariest experience I've ever had, because all of a How- sudden you're writing for big name superhero. It's not as bad as like, oh, I'm writing for Brad Pitt or I'm writing for Johnny Depp. It's like, oh no, you're writing for these guys. And you're and worried the heroes are going to be upset with you. I was worried they were going to be upset with me. I was worried, no, I was worried that I wasn't going to do them justice. That was the thing. I was so like, to speak. Uh, I know that. I know that feeling. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's a little intimidating. Well, let, let's talk about oh, that a for a minute. It's a lot intimidating. Um, how, did you, how did you push through it and how did you get to tell the stories that you wanted to tell? Again, without being specific. Um, for me, it was finding the voices that I liked that were a different take on what people had heard of and a different dynamic and yet still play in the sandbox. You know, like what what am I bringing to it that's different? Um, I was a big fan of the Justice League International, um, the Giffen and DeMathis stuff. And then uh, – uh, and so I always liked that sort of fun – Take on the super- that was the first time I knew superheroes could be funny. Like, oh, oh we could do comedy and we could still do action. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. And that was a big sort of uh, perception shift for me. Like, I was like, oh, this is great. So I always loved that style. Um, yeah. So. Uh, what, what what did you work on, or what have you worked on that intimidated you as far as yeah, being really? I want to hear that. The character, Len, Spider Man. To start, I was really? the th- I was the third. Regular writer that character ever had. Wow. wow when was that? that? That was back during the Jurassic Age. I think, <laughs> some, uh, no, I mean, Stan had written the first 102 sure. or four issues. Then Jerry Conway did most of the next 50. Oh, okay. And then Archie Goodwin, God rest him, did a fill-in issue. And Just then one. the book fell to me, and I'm going, <laughs> hamana, hamana, hamana. <laughs> And I realized... I had to live up to 150. Uh, uh, they just sure. canceled the book with seven issue 700. So at that point, yeah. <laughs> 150 whole issues I had to deal with. Continuity was so much easier in those days. Yeah, sure. Uh, but it was intimidating more than almost any other character I've ever written. I mean, so many other people had written Superman or Batman mm-hmm. when I took those characters over that it wasn't – that okay, I'm gonna do a good job or a bad job, but I'll be one of many mm-hmm. and lost in the great flood of of creativity. Spider Man was if I screw up, they're gonna point at me. Sure, they're gonna make faces. <laughs> and so it took a lot of sitting down, rereading everything, trying mm-hmm. to get that voice right, trying to get the concept right. And I I was lucky that I was working at that point with uh, Ross Andrew, who had been doing the book for a little while. So I. Well, I was coming in, well, not exactly cold, because I had done two years of Marvel team-up before mm-hmm. that, which was a Spider-Man book, so I had the voice kind of down. But in terms of working for the storytelling, I had Ross, and Ross was one of the great storytellers in history, one of the great underrated storytellers. Yeah. I always talk about there's a scene in my third issue, which is about the football player, right? Uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite stories, Yeah, where 
Peter Parker and Mary Jane are in the stands, not during the game, but just talking. And they're have, discussing their relationship. And, thing, and as things go up and down, you watch Peter and Mary Jane sort of move up and down in the stands. They're walking around. And visually, you can tell exactly where the relationship is at that oh, moment. Wow. Panel to panel. That's amazing. Just based on how he's moved the characters around. The deadliest wow. hundred yards. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Good one. <laughs> Len and I were Good talking. Pull. Len and I were talking earlier. The very first comic book I ever read was Len's first issue of Spider-Man. No way. Come on. It was uh, Skirmish Beneath the Streets, number 151. <laughs> yep. Uh, what was it about? It, it, Spider-Man versus the Shocker. With a great... I should have guessed. Great party scene at J. Jonah Jameson's oh, house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the whole, I think fun. the Shocker's whole plan was to black out blocks of New York in such a way that if you were in a helicopter, you could see it spell Shocker. So for the four people in helicopters, it was <laughs> yeah, a great plan. That's a, it's a great prank. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you got to do something with ambition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a great shot. Also, it's the Shocker. I was trying to make him an interest. <laughs> but there was face it, the Shocker. It's a man in a quilt who hits you with things. <laughs> But Ross did that great shot that you called for of, of, of Spider-Man hanging from a helicopter, and he could actually see the shocker laid out in the city blocks of New York. It was fantastic. That's Thank amazing. You. And how young were you when you picked up this comic? I was 38. Oh, thank God, because that makes me, let's see, oh, well, I voted for Lincoln, apparently. <laughs> Burt Lincoln. <laughs> Um, but were you like a, a little kid or were you a teenager at this point? Um, well, I, I, okay, I'll date myself, sure. Uh, I was seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's I got how that old book. I was when I started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this was something I actually wanted to talk about was, you know, you mentioned reading that Hulk, Heath, and, you know, at seven years old, picking up that first Spider-Man. And yep. How old were you when you got into comics? And what was uh, – I'm kind of more interested in what was the general uh, opinion of comics readers? Kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a kid's medium. It was a dime. It was still a dime. Oh, my God. <laughs> Back when a dime would buy five cents worth of stuff at least. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but it, it was it was a very broad throwaway kids' medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sick. I was seven years old and sick and in the hospital. My father, God rest him, brought me a whole stack of comic books to keep me occupied. And I was hooked by the end of the And he probably just stack. went down to the newsstand, grabbed yeah, a spent, bunch. Spent and... two bucks or something yeah. and bought me 20 comics. Uh, do you remember what was in there? No. I have no clue. I remember the first comics I bought, mm-hmm. both of which were Batman comics. Really? Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what my dad gave me, but it just got me hooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weird thing with the Batmans were they both had the same villain. Uh, <laughs> two, two different, one was an issue of Detective Comics called The Man Who Ended Batman's Career. About a villain oh, called about my uh, agents. No, well, that's a whole other. That's that's today. Uh, actually, the Nolans, I think, just ended Batman. <laughs> but uh, no, it was Professor Milo who had, who made uh, yeah. uh-huh, the Batman yeah. claustrophobic uh, right. and, and afraid of bats. Sure, and he became Starman, which had one of the worst oh costumes God. ever. But James Robinson, years later, God bless him, found a way to yep. put that character into his well, Starman costume. Yeah, that's, that's Starman James Robinson's great. Yes. bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Is, what thing have people forgotten? Yeah, let's make a story around that. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one was an issue of Batman with a cover story called Am I Really Batman? 
uh, where he gets amnesia and has to be taught how to be Batman by Robin. And again, the villain is Professor Milo. That's funny. Who looks nothing like the Professor Milo from the, the other, other one. Story. <laughs> but when I finally took over the book years later, one of the first villains I ever used was Professor Milo, sure. who had not been seen since those two stories. Sure. I figured I, I owed him that much. Yeah, right. So I gave him a career again. <laughs> you know, he showed on the TV show. He, you're the first Batman in the animated series. Yeah. And he pops up in the comics now still. So I, I brought him back from the dead. Can, can I jump back to, to yes. Len's work on Spider-Man for a second? Absolutely. When you started working on Spider-Man, were you also editing the book? I, not when I first started. I think the first couple of issues were still Roy. So was there, I could be wrong. Was there much input from Roy to you as far as direction, as far as... Uh, since it was a character that you hadn't worked on before, aside from Marvel Team Up, uh, and you were in, a little you, intimidated by it, as you said, did did Roy help you through that at all? No, I mean, <laughs> ba- ba- and I don't say that in any negative fashion. The problem was whoever was editor in chief that week in those early days right, of Marvel right. mm-hmm. had something like fifty to sixty books a month to oversee, which meant all you were trying to do was get them out the door. Mm-hmm. You really didn't have time. You got hired based on the editor's opinion. Well, he can probably do the job. And if we go off the rails at all, and God knows every so often everyone did, uh, the editor's job was to put you back on the rails and go, no, that way, go left. You want to go left. And so I basically did what I felt I ought to do. Pretty on the fly. Yeah. And and there was no creative dictation either. They didn't say, hey, make sure you use the shocker now. We haven't used shocker for a while. never. Wow. Uh, it was it was an impossible job done by three or four people over a period of years who, so long as we kept doing it, the powers that be at Marvel refused to believe it was an impossible job. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, I think Shooter finally started to convince them, no, no, you need line editors under the editor-in-chief who have a responsibility for seven, eight books a month, and that's all, as DC had been doing for decades at that point. Sure. It was not an easy job. I mean, I lasted just over a year, and then my brain turned to tapioca one. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, – so, so you know, you went back in and you did all the reading and everything on, on Spider-Man before jumping in on this. What was the stuff that you either enjoyed writing about that or what did you, you know, fix on as, as uh, the base for, for jumping off of and, and writing this character? What I like most about Spider-Man and, and – when it's done right, still do to this day, is the human relationships. Peter and mm-hmm. May and Mary Jane and Jonah mm-hmm. and all those characters. The villain of the month, for the most part, I didn't care. I came up with a few. I pulled some of the ones I loved out of, out of the files. Mm-hmm. But it was rarely about Spider-Man to me. Spider-Man was snappy patter and interesting hitting people. <laughs> uh, what made the book fascinating was writing these people. You know, because Peter Parker is an extraordinarily complex character. Was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Peter Parker was an extraordinary. Because he's dead or because he's not complex anymore? Oh, no, he's very complex. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. Right. Well, I mean, part of the problem, too, you know, with, as Peter evolved, as he got married to Mary Jane, as as parts of his life took off, this is after me, long mm. after me, was people forgot, this is hard to look Harry. This is a guy who yeah. nothing ever goes right for. Right. The minute he married one of the most beautiful women in the world who was a supermodel, every geeky fan who hadn't ever had a date 
or at the concept of what a date was, <laughs> couldn't relate to him anymore, really. And your problem is what? You get to sleep with her and you got a problem? <laughs> right. What are you, nuts? And, and they lost that aspect of mm-hmm. the character. And I don't think they've ever fully recovered, even after that stupid uh, Mephisto storyline where, where they mm-hmm. rewrote history. Right. But I, but I think, uh, have you been reading Ultimate Spider-Man? No, actually, I never got into the Ultimate universe at all. I, I, I read some of the Ultimates, mm-hmm. but that's all I've read. I, I found that when I started reading the Spider-Man book that Bendis was writing, and, and again, part of my problem is some of the psychology how people, even though I love Peter and company more than I love Spider-Man, and I mm-hmm. love Spider-Man, I always had the feeling that Brian would be very happy to do an entire issue, and, and frequently did, of two heads, just two oh, people absolutely. having a conversation absolutely. for 22 pages. He's a great dialogue guy. He writes very naturalistic dialogue, a lot of back and forth flow. Mm-hmm. But he's not telling a story. When I realized it took him 147 pages to tell the same story that Stan and Steve Ditko <laughs> had told in 15 pages... I said, something is wrong here, and I stopped reading the ultimate universe. Just, just talkier. I can, <laughs> just yeah. a little talkier. I can understand that. I, I mean, it, well it's worth written, checking but... out, though. Um, the, the, the way that the story unfolds, uh, you know, he is hitting a lot of those things that Marvel was eventually missing with the, you know, the core title mm-hmm. uh, and making Spider-Man, you know, the, the surrogate for the reader in, in a really emotionally effective way. And that was always the most interesting thing about the Marvel stuff at that time is that these were people that were like us and, and, and tried to keep their life together. Oh, and then they had to shave the world. Yes. And, and that's why he couldn't go on that date. And that's yeah. why he couldn't you know, go pick up Aunt May's medicine in time. And it was always like, oh, man, that's a tough choice. I wonder what I would do. And it's like, oh, you, well, you got to save the world. <laughs> yeah. Len said something particularly interesting a second ago I want to follow up on. You said that you were more interested in, in Peter and Aunt May and, mm-hmm. and Mary Jane than you were in Spider-Man. Do you regard Spider-Man and Peter Parker as two separate individuals? Oh, hell no. No, I mean, uh, Spider-Man is Peter Parker's release valve. Yeah. All of the shit he gets to take as Peter, he gets to give back as Spider-Man. It is definitely another Hmm. part of an important part. You know, Peter does not crack wise most of the time. Spider-Man does nothing but crack wise. And it is very much a a yin-yang Mm-hmm. If you do it right, there's a balance between the two. It's just that Peter is the real guy. Because I was about to say, again, your Spider-Man was the first that I was exposed to. And I think a strength of your run is that you never forget that it's Peter underneath the mask. Mm-hmm. And I think the best comic yeah. writers never forget that there's a character underneath the mask. Um, and so that's something that really attracts me to, in particular, Spider-Man, because Stan was so good at that yes. to kick it off. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that I... There was a character in my run of the book that I don't really recall being in any other writer's run of the book. New York City. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To me, New York City was equally a character in that book. I mean, I set as many stories as I could in very public, familiar Mm -hmm. places. Uh, Used New York as a prop as much as anything. Mm -hmm. It is an extraordinary city. I lived there at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ross, God bless him, would be meticulous. He would go. I, I went to Radio City Music Hall one day to see some show back in those wonderful days when they had a show before the movie. And I realized this place is huge. It's it's like 
15 stories tall. You could have an aerial battle inside this building. And did. Yeah, I, I later did a story between him and I think the Goblin fighting inside Radio City Musical. That's right. And Ross, who was meticulous about making sure he got things right, went and bought a ticket and spent the day in Radio City Musical <laughs> taking photos, making sketches. Cause wow. The ticket probably cost more than he got paid for the <laughs> Probably. He, he, he did that with everything. Everything was... There was never a set piece I set in New York that wasn't dead-on accurate. Yeah. Because Ross couldn't draw any other way. I grew up in Arizona, and with all of the comics set in New York, <laughs> New York seemed like this incredible, magical, amazing place. place. To me. Yeah. And filled with superheroes, <laughs> and filled with gritty daily life. And I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get there and actually see it for myself. I'd same thing, exactly, exactly. And he got off the bus and promptly stepped in something and went, oh, that's New York. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, uh, talk to, talk to me about this. Uh, I think it's an interesting point that you raise about, you know, the character under the mask. Is this something that you try to do in, in the stories that you tell? Always, mm-hmm. always. Um, but is I, it, a, is it a conscious thing? Yeah, for me it really? is. Um, I, you know, the first regular book I had in the DC mainstream was Robin and I worked on that for about a year and a half and my big sort of, um, uh, a goal was to make it a book about a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, I have found Robin is written. He could he could easily be an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yours with, was the Tim Drake Robin, yeah, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with Tim the Drake things Robin. with the things that he says and with the with the actions that he takes and the concerns that he has. You forget that this is a sixteen year old kid mm-hmm. who's out there risking his life every night. And I wanted to bring that kind of sense to the book in a way that I hadn't seen it at least in some time. Um, and I do that, I, I try to think about that all the time. Uh, with Batman Beyond, it's, it's pretty similar because Terry McGinnis is a teenager. Mm-hmm. And does he want to do this for the rest of his life? Does he want to wind up like this old man, Bruce Wayne, that he sees, who's mm-hmm. in constant pain, is alone, and is very, very sad? Do you, does, does he want to do that? And that's the central question, I think, for Terry. Not is he going to you know, uh, be a good person? Mm-hmm. And right. Is he going to fight villainy? Of course he is. Mm-hmm. But does, is this what he wants? Is, does that, is that what he wants to wind up like? Mm-hmm. And as a, I remember as a 17-year-old, as an 18-year-old, you're thinking about what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I want to get back to um, this idea of, you know, again, our early experiences with comics. And uh, it is amazing that, that your first comic was uh, one of That's unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, and I had a watershed moment with it, too. So yeah. That's uh, so funny. But here's my question. Um, <clears throat> were you, uh, Heath, uh, a Marvel guy? I mean, uh, and this is kind of jumping off of what you were saying about, you know, the way the Marvel characters were different. I, I read both. I mean, I have mm-hmm. to say I collected everything. Mm-hmm. I, I took everything I could. I remember one of my earliest memories was when I, I first started reading comic books and I, I realized we had a drugstore at the end of our block. And I was like, I can go to this drugstore and buy a comic. So I went to this drugstore and I, I saved up to buy like one of the hundred page giant uh, DC. Yep. And I got because those were the bang for the oh buck. Oh my gosh, they were yeah, awesome. Those were great. I love those. <laughs> so I take it home and I'm fli- I'm reading through it and I get through it and at the end it says the three worst words to be continued. And I went. Dad, there's no ending on this. It says to be continued. And you know what my dad says? My dad goes, I'd take it back if I were you. (laughs) And I go, yeah, I'm going to take it back. So I walk back to the drugstore and I go, there's no ending on this book. I want to return it. And the guy looked at me like I was crazy because there's this little nine-year-old kid with his hands on his hips. And I was like, I want to take this this comic book back. And the guy's like, that's not how it works. (laughs) 
He's like, there's to be continued in all of those. It's like, pick another one. And, and that was my first heartbreak, with, to be continued. And I was like, oh, I'm hooked. I got to keep going. It was a drugstore in more ways than one. It really was. <laughs> it really was. The guy was a pusher. Yeah. Those, those yeah. places were, though. I mean, However, I, we had a seri- uh, I got him. I used to go in and just read them there. After well, that, I was like, screw you, buddy. <laughs> sure. I'm just going to sit here and read them. Work the system. I'm yep. steal a dollar's worth of candy bars. Before <laughs> no, no I just it. eat them there and yep. then read the comics. Uh, do you remember what was in that 80-page? Uh, it was a Legion of Superheroes. Oh, my um, God. So, yeah, I was, I was big into the Legion of Superheroes. My favorite was the, League of Subs- the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Oh, I love those. those guys were great. Um, I don't. They were I idiots. barely know what that is. Oh my gosh! It was I'm so sorry. Funny. I'm, I'm. Yeah. I'm. <laughs> Wonderful. Color, color kid. Color fill boy. Yep. Polar boy. Night last. Night last. Stone boy. Stone boy. Turned to stone. Whose power was he could turn to stone, which is cool. <laughs> I mean, so good. Colossus turned to steel. Difference is, Stone boy turned to stone and, and couldn't stood move. There and fell right over. <laughs> he was. He turned into a statue. <laughs> It's. It feels like uh, has James have James Robinson and <laughs> Jeff Jones brought all these back. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Well, some of them went on to actually join the Polar Boy. Did. Yeah. yeah, yeah Polar, Polar Boy did. did. And Night Last. Wait, Night Last. Polar yeah. Boy. Polar, Polar Boy. Yeah. yeah. He, he was, was cold. He, he was, was very cold. All the Sun Boy. That's all. He, he was right. the opposite of Sun Boy. He was. His powers were ice. And somehow he didn't make it. And that's I was like, what the heck? That's why he was refused admittance to the Legion was because his powers were essentially Sun Boys in reverse. And somehow that was the logic. That's that makes no sense. Or he couldn't control his powers well enough. Well, that was what it was. He couldn't control. He wore this wonderful fur hat. Yeah, it was great. I mean, purple, bright purple fur hat. Horrible. I loved reading the Legion, but. I never wanted to write the Legion. No. That seems overwhelming. I, and I did four or five Legion stories because really? I was not exactly on staff at DC, but I was working there full time at one point. And I had finished whatever my actual work for the month was, and I realized I had a week till the next art job was coming in. And I went to Paul Levitz, mm-hmm. who at that point was the editorial coordinator, and I said, Paul, I got nothing on my desk. I got a dead week. What do you want me to do? And he said, um... How about writing the next issue of the Legion of Superheroes? I said, no, no, I've got like a, a free week and an empty desk. What do you want me to do? He said, uh, how about writing the Legion of Superheroes? I said, you, you haven't understood the word I've said, have you? And he said, no, no, I, I understood exactly what your situation is. You have two options. You have a free week or you get to write the Legion of Superheroes. 30 characters later. Because yeah. he knew I didn't want to, just, just how, to force me to do How things. did you tackle it? I took the only group I loved in that thing, which mm-hmm. is the Fatal Five. Yeah. And you I did a Fatal Five story. The Fatal Five was the best, their, their best band of arch enemies. Yeah. Okay. Five really cool, interesting characters. The Emerald Empress, Mano. The, the Emerald Empress had, had a, a big eyeball, an eyeball around. floating around. That was essentially a power ring. And it, right. it was powered by the same source as the Green It was actually Lanterns. a big part of the storyline in 52. Oh really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, and God. there was I think I skipped over a lot of the Legion stuff. <laughs> there was Validus, who was this giant alien about twenty five feet tall, whose brain showed through the top. Yeah, you could see his brain. Oh, I'm a fan of those. Brain. Yeah. I loved him. Fired lightning from his brain. Fired oh, lightning nice. from his brain and was of course super strong. There was Mano whose hand could disintegrate anything. So anything he touched... Tough. Inexplicably had a Spanish name. Yeah, that's what I yeah, was just was, thinking. There were, okay, I can't remember the name of the one who was half cyborg and half... Therok. Therok, who was... Had, awesome. Deep cuts. Jesus. <laughs> His whole well right played. side had been disintegrated, so he was a Not cyborg. by Mano. 
No, but he was right. a cyborg <laughs> on one side. Somehow he hadn't died in the seven instants. You know, that <laughs> right. Half sure. his body disintegrated. But, and, and, the persuader. and the persuader who yeah. had an axe that could cut through anything. Anything, that's right. That's persuasive. That's right. <laughs> I, I always wanted to pit him against the executioner, you know, from Thor. Sure. Right, sure. You know, with, with his axe. And you know, just go at it. Somebody chop off a limb. Or sure, just have a lumberjack competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Two so basically. Rolling on ro- right, logs. Right. <laughs> Fighting, you take trees. You take those guys and you send them up against a bunch of high school kids. Like you yeah, know, right. high school students are all falling in love and sleeping with each other exactly. and switching partners. And uh, that's what I, I was like. Where did you go to high school? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, well, that's why I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. It's like a dorm. They all hang out. There's a girl turns into three. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's weather dream. Sure. <laughs> Um, Legion was one that I, I never quite understood. And it was, they were in one of the first comics I owned, which was I got maybe a dozen comics from my dad's collection. And, but it was a Superboy comic featuring Legion of Superheroes. And I couldn't keep track of them. I didn't know what their deal was. Yeah. Um, and, and you will learn about me as we do these. I don't do cosmic stuff. Right. I don't do outer space things. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and Boy, are you perfect for a comics podcast. Yeah, I'm going. I, I like Batman. <laughs> you know, like Batman was my entree to comic books. And so that became like Batman and Spider-Man, which are street level heroes, exactly. became the thing that I latched on to. Exactly. I'll tell you the other reason I love the Legion of Superheroes. They were one of the only people that had a fat kid. And as a little fat <laughs> kid sure growing they up, did. they were the only gr- team that actually had a fat kid <laughs> named Matter Eater Lad. No, oh, no, Bouncing Boy. Boy. Bouncing, Bouncing Boy. Matter Eater Matter Eater Lad was the other one. Matter Eater Lad should have been fat. He should have been fat, but he wasn't. (laughs) Polar Boy doesn't make it in, but Matter Matter Eater And Bouncing Boy does. And I loved Bouncing Boy because I was the fat kid who saw a fat kid in the superhero team, and I was like, that guy's awesome. That's amazing. That's awesome. What made the Legion work, although, like I said, I never did like writing it, was uh, mostly Jim Shooter, who actually took a Marvel take on it. He decided <laughs> that we've got 47 characters here, and he sat down one day to give them 47 personalities. Sure. As opposed to, you know, pe- people always talk about my run on the Justice League as as being their favorite, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. But but all I did that was different from what Gardner, Fox, God rest them, and the people who preceded me had done was to decide these guys are all different people. They have different personalities. Mm-hmm. It used to be when Gardner wrote them, if you did a long shot of nothing but silhouettes, you couldn't tell who was talking. They didn't call each other by name. They were sure. all the exact same character. And and the one thing I did was sit down and go, okay, let's think about this. We've got Green Arrow, who's the world's you know, ultimate radical leftist. <laughs> and then we've got Hawkman, who's a cop. They are not going to get along. Right. And and so I wrote them that way and started to do that sort of thing. Jim had done that earlier with the Legion. He He had been reading the Marvel books, which was anathema to most of the old-time DC writers, and said, they should all have personalities. And so he worked as hard as he could to differentiate between 47 different characters. And Jim was 14 at the time he was 14, writing? Yeah. Well, so was Jerry Conway. Right. Jerry was my old roommate. When Jerry started in the biz, he was 14 years old. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, so was Joe Kubert. You know, oh, it sure. amazed me to the, to, to the day, God rest him, he passed, because Joe was an old, very dear friend, that when he was 14 years old, Joe Kubert was the best artist DC had. I had no idea he started that young. When yeah. he was 86 years old, Joe Kubert was the best artist DC had. <laughs> 
I mean, it's yeah. astonishing. An absolute master. Yeah, it got better over the years. Yeah. Never, ever stopped. Yeah. And it was a great guy. I mean, I, I, I was honored that I got to work with him a couple of times. That Probably the last war story he did with all the old war characters was one of the backup stories we did huh. in Legacies. Oh, how fun. That broke, oh, sure. Yeah. I was... That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. What a thrill. It's interesting that, that what you just said, Len, actually ties into what Adam was talking about before, about that even though there there's still people behind the mask, you still have to have characters. They, yes. and, mm-hmm. and it's okay for not everyone in a superhero team to get along. And no. I think that's one of the first places you could see that. Because before, you when you're in a DC book, it's like, oh, we're all here on the Watchtower <laughs> together. We're, of course we're all friends and we all get along. We're super friends. And, sure. And – that's nice to see those cracks in the armor because, of course, they wouldn't. Green Arrow and Hawkman are absolutely polar opposites mm-hmm. philosophically. Like, these are people that should not get along and will argue. And, of course, they'll go beat up people sure. but I mean, together. Would, but that's so fun and that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something really cool that you brought to well, thank it. Thank you. I mean, so long as you kept in mind that they would die for one another. Right. The fact that otherwise they couldn't stand one another. <laughs> but that's that's really interesting. And it's, it was very modern at the time. And it felt very fresh. Yeah. It was I'm, something that changed. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's that's the way the comics are written now. It's, yeah. You, know, you have to have a character behind <laughs> your your character. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, is, there, is there stuff now that you guys are reading that is uh, kind of pushing those same buttons for you as – when you first started reading comics? Wow. Uh, there's st- there aren't as many books. I mean, everybody is in the middle of rebooting their yeah. universes. Well, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, and it's probably worth talking about on the microphones. Um, it's sort of an interesting time for creators and readers and for different reasons. Very much so. I mean, Marv Wolfman once said one of the, one of the best things I ever heard. He said, every generation is entitled to its version of the characters. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I completely agree with that. No, there is no reason that today's Batman, for example, or today's Hawkman needs to be the Hawkman or Batman sure. that I grew up on. Right. I would love that to be so because I love those characters. <laughs> that's a great point. But but those characters don't go away no, either. Yes. Those characters – I mean, you know, it's the old line about when they asked James M. Cain – how do you feel about what Hollywood has done to your books? He said, what do you mean? My books are on the shelf right, right. over there just the way I wrote them. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, the books will always be there. Those, if you love old Batman stories, mm-hmm. and God knows I do, as silly as some of them are, I just pull them down off the shelf in the collections and, and sit down and read them all. But we are starting, at least for me, we are starting to get to the point in, in the evolution of these characters where clearly – Nobody's writing for a guy my age anymore. <laughs> I, I don't connect with as many of the characters mm-hmm. I used to. The new Superman. I mean, this. Let's this... talk about that. And you and I have talked about this too, Heath. Um, just someone, someone give an overview of what they've done with to reboot Superman. Because I only read one issue. Uh, the new, the Grant Morrison Superman. Yeah, yeah, the brand new. The, he's more of a, well, the, the the sort of cornerstone is that he is alien. They're making him much more alien, less the Boy Scout, more of the blunt object, um, more willing to beat people up than than sort of save the world and and be the big blue Boy Scout anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of more willing to get his hands dirty, and uh, I think it's it's a little more interesting. Um, He's Superman's also, a hard character. He's also younger a little he's bit. A lot he? younger. And, and yeah. He's a lot younger. Yeah. He's more he's impetuous. Yeah. More impetuous. It looks like. But, but everything else in the books has changed. 
Mm-hmm. He, uh, for a while there, I mean, I, I'm trying to follow it, and I'm losing track. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like he's no longer working for the Daily Planet, he's right? For the Daily Star, something like he that. He has yeah. no relationship with Lois at all, except as co-workers. She's sleeping with some other guy entirely, I've never <laughs> heard of. Uh, everything is different. Somehow, it seems for the sake of difference, as mm-hmm. opposed to because it's better being different. I think that's interesting. It's it, it, there's some things that you have to preserve in order to preserve, and then there are some things that have to evolve just because to speak to the modern times. You mm-hmm. know, but newspapers aren't newspapers anymore, <laughs> especially when we're, we're reading. Well, we're reading the comic book on an iPad, so it's it would be very odd to have him be, you know, this is Jimmy Olsen and he's uh, t- taking yeah. pictures on an old-time camera. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So I agree with you. There's some – what chunks can you – do you have to push forward and right. throw away and which pieces do you have to preserve? Mm-hmm. You know, what relationships? It seems like some of them – could have been preserved, or maybe it's a slow burn that we're working towards the big Superman Lois, or... Well, I hope we are. I hope I mean, so. Because the problem is the comic book market is now a niche market. Yo, any book that yeah. sells 100,000 copies, we have a party and we all run around <laughs> naked. Oh my God, we sold 100,000 copies of this. Uh, and you don't want to see comic book creators running around naked. No. <laughs> no, you go blind. That's <laughs> what you do. But... <laughs> But people go to the movies, you're talking about the hundreds of millions you need to go mm-hmm. to the movies right. to, to make a buck on, on a film, most of whom have grown up on, a, on incarnations of the characters mm-hmm. that are different from what's going on in the comic. If somebody were to pick up a issue of Superman right now who had grown up on the old TV show right. on Smallville or on whatever, in, you know, Carnation, Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark, yes. And, and, and read this, they go, what? Who is Who? this? What? Yeah. Uh, and that's the same thing with Batman. If, if Robin showed up in Batman, 99% of the population expects it to be Dick Grayson. Right. Because that's what they remember. And, you know, we're, we're 42 Robins past that by now. <laughs> and, and it's... An interesting tightrope, I think, you have to walk between what you want to do to keep the characters fresh and what you need to do to keep the characters familiar. Mm -hmm. I think there's a really good example of that going on at Marvel right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the book that comes the closest to me to recapturing the thrill I felt when I was a kid reading comics while still speaking to me as an adult is what Mark Waid is doing on Daredevil. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Wonderful book. I don't think anybody right now is is as good as at getting present company accepted, uh, <laughs> at getting to the core of a character and reminding you what the core of the character is all about as Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great uh, for that. He, brilliant. Because he is the – I always thought of myself as one of the big fanboys and still am. I mean I still get jazzed when there's something that comes out that I – oh, boy, the new issue of this. But Mark has never lost that and brings it to his work – Unlike maybe any other writer in the business. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's got a professional capacity to translate his fanboy <laughs> urges, and that's brilliant. It's a wonderful book. And yes. the other great thing that Marvel has done with that book is put artists on it that feel like Ditko. Yes. There's a visual <laughs> sense of wonder to that book that I haven't felt uh, reading a comic in a long, long time. Yes. And I really appreciate that. I get some of that same rush that I had when I was seven years old and reading Len Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look forward to that book every month in a way that I look forward to very few books. Another one that I look forward to like that is Hawkeye. 
uh, yeah. with Matt Fraction and David Anderson. Great things great. about that. Yeah, uh, I have, I'm not up on either of those, but yeah. I, well, I hear they're fantastic. It's a it's a different kind of rush than when I had as a kid reading superhero comics. But it's a it's such a fresh voice, mm-hmm. and the visual style of it that they've put together is it's, so distinct that cool. I really enjoy it every every month. Yeah. I, I, I'm not up on this um, on the Wade run on Daredevil, um, but I'm curious about like if they're putting these Ditko style or kind of throwback style artists on. Is this a book for people our age, or is this a book for people picking up? Aren't they comics all now? at this point for well, people uh, our age? I, I mean, who, who 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 kids don't read comics? It doesn't feel like kids. You know, I don't know. My nephews know Batman from the Arkham games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know him from the games. They know him exactly. from the video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but shouldn't the the books be you know looking for that audience? I think they stopped. Once nothing mm-hmm. was left but the comic shops, <clears throat> you had to make a conscious choice to want to buy a comic book. And, I mean, God, about 25 years ago, maybe it was, DC did a survey to find out the average age of their readership and mm. discovered, I'll, I'll pick a number arbitrarily, it was 13 years old. And they said, great. And five years later, they decided to do it again. And they ran another <laughs> one of these. And they discovered the average mean age of their audience was 18 years old. And someone said, oh, great, we're reaching an older audience. And someone said, no, <laughs> schmuck, we're reaching the same people we started out with. And yeah. that's what's happened. Uh, you get fewer new fans because there was no place to go mm-hmm. to just stumble on comics. Right. The way all of us stumbled on comics. Sure. And it, it is like movies, uh, music in that way now where you have to know, you have to go in looking for something. It's interesting though because on the new Avenger run they're actually being driven by the film now. Right. So yeah. it's sort of the tail wagging the dog at this point. So I, I agree with you. Maybe we should be gearing towards a child audience but then or, or going for kids mm-hmm. but then when they are it feels very inorganic. Like mm-hmm. that Avenger Run, I, I didn't. I haven't read it. Didn't either. speak to me at all. Like wow. it, it felt very inorganic. It felt like the marching orders were, "Hey, make a comic book off the movie because everyone saw the movie." Mm-hmm. Well, it feels like Marvel is taking that maybe because they are, you know, a holistic company in that mm-hmm. way that they can take that tack. I mean, I know the Wolverine that Acker and I are working on is supposed to be a jumping-on point for people who see the new Wolverine movie. Oh, you interesting. Uh, like they're supposed to and was like that, that and then come, come see that. Were those marching orders from the beginning? It's It was a guideline from the beginning. Okay. It was make it accessible for those people. Explain who the Hulk is when you bring in the Hulk. By the way, this is the first time you've mentioned this on this That's podcast. That's right. We Do you want to tell us a little bit about Let's this? Let's talk a little bit about this. We haven't even heard about it yet. You guys aren't up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up on this podcast. Um yeah, yeah, this was – and I was actually going to mention it before when we were talking about intimidating things to write. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Acker and I were approached to – were offered this opportunity to write a a five-issue Wolverine year one or season one, whatever they're calling them. They've done a bunch of them for various characters and some have been great and some have been okay. Um, but it was uh, basically telling – the story leading up to Len's issue of the Hulk, wow. which introduces Wolverine. So that that issue is the centerpiece of our story. Wolverine having breakfast that morning, exactly. Yeah. Hanging for out for five issues, yeah, having sure. a cigar, a couple couple <laughs> Molsons, no cigars, <laughs> no cigars, no cigars. We had him smoking in a scene, and no, there's no smoking in Not Marvel anymore. comics. Really? Uh, well, it has to. It's a PG thirteen. Oh, I also had you know Wendigo ripping his 
intestines out, which had to be taken. We can't do that. He heals. <laughs> Does he heal? Yikes. My favorite thing, and that <laughs> that Wendigo character, which is barely a character. Yes. Um, all he's ever been is just a big physical who, thing. Who Wendigo. yells his own name. Yeah, I love that. Wendigo. It cracks me up. So it's awesome. I, I put that in as much as I could. But this was really intimidating, knowing that we were essentially, you know, padding out and retelling your story. Uh -huh. <laughs> And, you know, we had to find – what we eventually had to do is find our way into it, you know, is what makes this story fun for us. But it was, you know, what, what's the stuff we want to see? What's the stuff that pushes the Wolverine buttons? You know, we're not reinventing anything. We're going into the history mm -hmm. and how much do we need to tell? And so it, we really had to – we had to take you out of it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, speaking to what story of my life, <laughs> to what you know, I mean, what like we were we, saying, yeah. like about reinventing the character or bringing a fresh perspective to our new voice. Like, what did you guys find? Was you had to stick to class? What could you pull from what was already established, and what were you bringing to it that was different? Well, we knew. I mean, we knew lens issue that Hulk one eighty one is it yes. was untouchable. Okay. You know, and we knew as the centerpiece of that we had to have a different angle on it. So it's from a different perspective. Uh, and you get – it's from Wolverine's perspective, not from the Hulk's. Um, it's from the Wendigo's. It's from Wendigo. <laughs> that's the one I'm doing. I'm oh. doing the Wendigo one shot. I'm pitching – literally just Wendigo. one word. It's just one word. Wendigo season from one. Behind. Yeah, it's Wendigo <laughs> season one from behind. <laughs> shot in a long lens. <laughs> Long lens Wendigo. Is what it's called. I would I'll read focus. like a Keith Giffen style Wendigo behind the music. I'm doing it. That's what I'm going to do. It's just going to be fan fiction. Uh, but then, you know, it was the conversation of, well, what's the stuff that makes Wolverine Wolverine? Because that's got to go in there because we want to be, you know, we want to be the readers who are excited about that's him popping his claws. Right. That's him saying bub or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I should also say I knew very little about Wolverine <laughs> going into this. Really? I did a lot of homework on yeah. it. Yeah. Now the what, what, I'm, I was still I will say again I'm a Batman guy. <laughs> what were the what were the cornerstones of your homework? On That's what I was going to ask. Good question. Um, Good question. It was uh, it was the the Hulk those two issues. Uh -huh. um, it was uh, the origin that they did uh, mm -hmm. a few years mm -hmm. later. Yeah, uh, ooh, Lens, story Lens shaking bizarre. his head. Lens shaking his. I want to hear Lens take on that. I worse commercially brilliant. Made them a fortune. <laughs> Creatively, the worst idea they've ever had. Wow. The less you know about yeah. Wolverine, the more interesting a character Agreed. is. Yeah. Once you start locking things down, you start limiting your possibilities. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the mystery is so much a part of mm -hmm. the what makes that character interesting. I, I don't believe this whole Jamie Howlett, Howlett I yeah. thing uh ever really happen. I just think it's, it's, it's <laughs> an imaginary story. An imaginary story. <laughs> a what if. Right. A dream. Um, no, an imaginary. What was it? Not a, not a, not a hoax. Not a hoax. Not an imaginary, imaginary story. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it is a hoax dream and imaginary story. <laughs> yeah. story it was pretty to look at, though. It was um, lovely. Yeah, was, the art was good. Yeah, beautifully done. Um, and Weapon X we read, um, which, I, uh -huh. which was one of the first things I read, uh, one of the first Marvel things I read. Uh, as like a 13-year-old. But did you go back to Claremont and Miller's miniseries? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Did you read the early New X-Men issues? We read the early New X-Men issues. We uh -huh. read when he was first given his costume. We read, um, I can't remember, a, a bunch of things. Yeah. I, I actually didn't, I don't think I did read the Claremont Miller. That's uh, a good one. Uh, that's a good, yeah. well, that's, that's part good of one. the basis for the new movie. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Have you seen the poster for the new movie? I haven't, no. Mm -mm. Oh, it's wonderful. 
It's, it's simply a shot of Wolverine from about mid-thigh up to the top of his head. It's one of those Japanese ink paintings. Oh, wow. cool. You know those kinds of things on rice paper? Yeah. With arms crossed with the claws out, face in shadow. Pretty. Just there, and there's nothing on it but that. No hmm. Wolverine coming, no date. Right. And then those little red stamps some of the Japanese yeah. artists used to sign their work in the yeah. corner. I mean, it is somebody's drawing. Wow. And and uh, Laura Shula Donner has promised me a copy from my wall. I'm waiting <laughs> nice. for it to show up. <laughs> nice. Because, That's fantastic. You know, if you've, you, you've been to the house, you know it's full of posters of everything. Absolutely. There's there's a yeah the, a massive uh, library. Yes. <laughs> posters of all of the... Uh, the Lenbrary. The Lenbrary, yes. <laughs> I'm running out of wall space for posters from, you know, movies and or TV shows with my characters. Well, that's a, hey, that's a champagne bad. problem. It, it, it ain't the worst problem. Get a bigger house. <laughs> I did. The house I live in now is three times the size of the house I had before the fire. Uh, and we're still boy. running out of room. So now you said 13. May you always be running out of room. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> you said 13. Now, is that when you got into comics? I, I read, uh, like I said, my dad had maybe you know a dozen or so that I found in my grandparents' attic from when he was a kid. So I read some of that early 60s stuff. And then, you know, from 10 to 13, it was always, it was the same thing, going to the drugstore, but it was on Cape Cod. It was only on the summers. Ah. Oh. We were on the Cape, and we, I would walk down to, it was called The Seaside, was the name of the candy store, drugstore. And, you know, go through the rack, what looks good, uh, and bring it back. But then I think I was 13 when I started going regularly. Yeah. Uh, at first, it was on Fridays, right? Wasn't it first on Fridays no, and then Wednesdays? Thursdays. I go back or Thursdays. Thursdays. Yeah, Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh -huh. Tuesdays right. and Thursdays. Twice, Twice a, week. a week. Yes. Uh, I'm such a geek. <laughs> and that much, and, and most of my friends who were comic collectors at the time were all the same geeks. We would all be at our local newsstand, wherever it came in. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, waiting for the stuff to be delivered. Oh, my God. And waiting for them to open the bundle so we can get the best copies of sure. everything that came in. To the point where it seemed every one of us, whoever the local news vendor was, said, all right, you unpack them and just keep counting. <laughs> what nice. That's fantastic. You, you speak about your generation of geeks, and I hope this is something we can get to in a future podcast, is talking about organized fandom. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because you were a big part of that. Yes, I was. Uh, when, when that really began to happen, APAs and things like that. Yeah. I hope we get a chance to talk about that. Because a lot, of, a lot of the a lot creators of stuff, that people things. know today as, as legends in the industry came out of that movement. Yeah. And conventions. That was a big thing sure. for me. Yeah. It was uh, going to conventions in Chicago and well, feeling through like, the first ones. Yeah. I want to yeah. get to that. I want to hear about that. Well, this, this is what we're going to do, you guys. Uh, oh, you yeah? Know, any, any combination of the four of us in this room <laughs> at any given time. Um, and you know, I, I think we'll we'll come in and talk about what we want to talk about. You yeah. know, I I will bring in guests uh, on occasion, but you know, these things will be thirty five, forty minutes, and that's all. My, you know, the, oh. <laughs> listen, go as long as you want. <laughs> they're they're podcasts. Yeah, they'll be cut down to thirty five, forty minutes, no matter how long. You're exactly. Good point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're really hopefully going to talk about the stuff that comic readers and potential writers and comic writers want to hear about. And Is artists. There, and artists. And artists. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> They're the drummers. How about letters? They're the drummers. Letters. <laughs> letters. Okay. Absolutely. Um, is there a way for people to send us questions or uh, uh, talk to us That's at, at any question. point? We should. We should, we should thank you. We'll figure it out. Don't worry, right. Uh, right now, they can go to my website, benblackerwrites.com. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, where you will Don't find information about the Nerdist Writers Panel as well as the upcoming Nerdist Comics Panel. Is that panel. Ben Blacker writes as in civil rights? Yes. yes. Okay. Not yes. Ben Blacker's rights. Are you, <laughs> fighting, are you fighting for your rights? Yes. Constantly. Yes, satin tights. That's <laughs> This all right. That's a good place to end it. But this was something I, I did want to talk about, and and we started to. But like when I first started reading comics, um, and it seems like you guys had friends who read comics uh, while you were reading comics as a youth. I I I don't think I was self aware enough to know there was a stigma attached to them. <laughs> but I don't I don't think I had any friends who were like going to the comic store every week and like i would take them home i would read them and that's it i mean i think i probably had maybe some relatives some cousins or whatever but uh, who i would talk to who were artists in fact Uh, and so they like that aspect of it but like it was not a community for me Mm -hmm. Um, and it was only i think once i got to college and and actually met ben acker who was one of the first people I met who was like, yeah, yeah, comics, I am in. Let's talk about it. Uh, and, he, you know, he, he was a Marvel guy, and so uh, he got me into a lot of that stuff. But I don't know. I, it, was not, it was not, you know, shameful. It was not hidden under the bed. But it was also not something that I was like, hey, hey, check this out. Right. You know? I never felt like it was shameful. I just only had a handful of people who were into it with mm-hmm. me. You know, I think I had like five guys who we would all share comics and we'd go up to the comic book store and take the bus up to Hepcat every day, every wow. Thursday when oh it was, when it, uh, when it came in. <laughs> And we'd have our pull lists and we'd be like, you know, they'd pull out the big stack that's like three inches high and, <laughs> and yeah, and you'd pull out your 20 bucks and yeah. I, I never had any friends who were into comics. Oh, really? really? I okay. never had any friends. <laughs> um, but no, I... I Wait, uh, get the violinist up here. <laughs> which is, it's sort of weird that I stayed with comics as long as I did because I really didn't have uh, anybody's who were uh, uh, into it, at least not as passionately as I was. So there wasn't really anybody to discuss oh, okay. it with. Uh, about spite. The closest, it was spite. It was spite. <laughs> you were going to show them all. <laughs> they'll, they'll rue the day. Really, the only people about <laughs> I could talk to about comics were the people who worked at the comic shop. Mm-hmm. And I was perfectly happy to do that but that was mm-hmm. again that was once a week it wasn't until i got to college that i oh, found okay. other people who were really into comics as much as i was oh good yeah i'm glad to hear that yeah <laughs> um and we mentioned the the first comics uh you bought were uh, a nickel 10 cents ten right cents, not a nickel for the love of god <laughs> uh the ones your dad would back at that point <laughs> yeah they were printed on pulp um, how much was that first Spider-Man that you bought? Do you remember? It, it, it had the corner box, and it was the sort of the, mm-hmm. the sound effect thing yep. that said "still only twenty-five cents." Yeah, nice. Is it, was it? Were you? I know. I think it was more. I think it was sixty by the time I was into yeah, it. That sounds yeah. right to me. Sixty or sixty cents. Sixty, and then seventy-five, and then and then up from there. And now they're what? Four bucks. Four yeah, bucks. Three ninety-nine. Two ninety-nine. Depending. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Except I remember digitally. the first 12 cent comic, which was an issue of, of adventure comics. Really? Yep. Were, were there more pages? More, no. More no, adventure? Just up two cents. <laughs> Lionel Lang's Superboy Detection Kit. Ah. <laughs> what? what? Did it work? <laughs> yes. She found out who he was. He had a killer, and that was the end of the series. Wow. I'd watch that. It was actually it was adventure number seven hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Where Lana and Superboy switch brains. Right. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler. That's it, you guys. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Uh look for more of these. We're hopefully gonna be starting them up in a few months. Excellent. I'm, I'm gonna suggest we start with podcast number seven hundred. <laughs> oh, Done. I like that. And we'll all switch brains. Right. Yes. Done. How will they tell the difference? 
Now leaving Nerdist.com.